Welcome to Monday and Midday on the Rural Radio Network. We have just very uncharacteristic weather. We got a very cool front that's kept us very nice, very comfortable for a couple of days. And guess what? More of the same, only cooler, coming in Wednesday from what we hear. I'm okay with that. We will check all the weather here on your Rural Radio Network station for what's going on in your neck of the woods. Right now, though, we have Jesse Harding over here who can get us up to speed on what we can expect today on midday. Well, things are starting to kick back up during county fair season. Things are kicking back up in Washington, D.C. as well. So for the 12-13 last week, the Nebraska Cattlemen hosted their annual road trip meeting. So we'll get another update about how those went, what was discussed there. Also talk about a Senate Agriculture Committee hearing on Farm Bill will be at the 1213. That's also going to be the topic for the 1219 coming from Joe Gangwish. He's with Dan Atkinson from the National Sorghum Producers Association discussing their testimony, talking about crop insurance, Title One, trade, those sorts of things. For the newsmaker, Susan Littlefield is with USDA Secretary Purdue, who spent the end of last week talking with his counterpart in Mexico. They discussed some of those things and leading up to the NAFTA trade talks that are looking to start on August 16th. And then for the 117, I'm joined with Bill Angel. He's the Nebraska State Fair Livestock Superintendent. Nebraska State Fairs, we're heading into August, is getting closer and closer so we discussed the stock dog trials that will take place at the state fair. It's one of the best in the nation. And then we also talk about the Thompson Food Open Air Arena. That's one of the new horse arenas and some of the events that will be taking place in that arena as well. All right. And lots more to come on the state fair that's yes. uh, on the way. Jason Jorgensen's over here. I guess uh, college football gets down to brass tacks now. Huh? It is. Uh, camps run away. This is the earliest the camps have started. For many programs, the reason for that is there's no more two-a-day practices allowed. So to make up for that, they just extended fall camp another week in many instances. I bet coaches are big fans of that. You know, I think they're just trying to gauge their way on this and uh, figure it out. Uh, The Huskers have had two practices already in the books. They just concluded their second practice a few minutes ago. Get the thoughts from head coach Mike Riley about his young cornerback situation. That position looked to be a strength for the Huskers, but they've suffered some injuries there, so they'll need some new kids to step up. Also, the Nebraska men's basketball team learned their Big Ten schedule about an hour ago. Let you know what that looks like. It is challenging. Okay. It's it's challenging. (laughs) And today is the deadline for trades to be made in Major League Baseball. Of course, the Royals made a nice one yesterday, picking up former Royal Melky Cabrera to try to help them out. They've won 10 out of the last 11 games. They'll continue on the road tonight at Baltimore. And that's where Cabrera will meet the Royals. We'll start in right field. I was going to say, it would be like old home week over mm-hmm. there. Yeah, he was he was popular the year he played before, so they're glad to have him back. Yeah, very good. All right. Bob Brogan has business news. Stocks are up just a little bit, and uh, they were pretty much unchanged earlier. Also, Americans signed more contracts to buy homes in June, snapping a three-month decline in pending sales. The White House is insisting that the Senate resume efforts to repeal and replace the nation's health care law. Governor Ricketts tells us anywhere between 100 and 400,000 people may come to the state to view the solar eclipse later uh, later this year. Wow, that'd be a big boost. All right, Bob, thanks, and uh, stand by, everybody. It's all today on Midday. 
Coleman Repair is bringing us this edition of Ag Weather with Paul Perkins. And it's very pleasant weekend. If it continues for a while, then what gets cooler still? Yeah, fall-like temperatures on the way for Thursday and Friday. Believe it or not, we will be maybe hard-pressed to get out of the 70s for Thursday and Friday in many locations. We're going to pay, aren't we? <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> But we do have some nice rain showers over Kansas right now, right along I-70. They stretch all the way from Hayes on over to Manhattan, and then just to the north of I-70 from Plainville on over to Concordia, and then south of I-70 from about Hayes and Salina, south to around the Kingman, Kansas area, and to south-central Kansas. Otherwise, our temperatures on the nice side. In much many areas, we're pretty much in the mid to upper 70s, those cooler upper 60s to low 70s underneath a little more cloud cover as you head into Kansas. Today and tomorrow, in a northwesterly flow across the area, thanks to that high-pressure ridge far to our west and a low-pressure trough anchored across the eastern part of the U.S. Some weak disturbances dropping southeast will keep some mainly small chances for thunderstorms going. That higher instability today means that we could see a strong storm or two, but most likely nothing severe. Temperatures in that northwest flow on the seasonally cool side all the way through Wednesday, and then even cooler after that, as Dirk mentioned. Thunderstorm chances increase with a cold front for Wednesday and Wednesday evening. The chances of severe weather with that front will be low. Some fall-like temperatures behind that front, and we may not get out of the 70s for Thursday and Friday. The high-pressure ridge to our west does move a little bit closer over the weekend for a warming trend. Some easterly upslope winds will help to develop some thunderstorms in the west that then track towards east, but just looking at some mainly small chances for rain over the weekend. But we saw small chances in the forecast for rain this last weekend, and a lot of uh, locations getting some beneficial rains. In the long term, the low-pressure trough over the eastern U.S. expands westward, and that means there is a good likelihood of cooler-than-normal temperatures in not only Nebraska and Kansas, but the eastern two-thirds of the nation this weekend through August 13th. Now, for reference, in the early half of August, central Nebraska daytime highs, which are usually about the hottest this time of year from mid-July to mid-August. We usually average in the upper 80s with overnight lows in the low 60s. And once again, chances are good that we'll be below that. Rain chances also start to increase near normal to above normal rainfall in the cards for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the 13th. Weather factors driving the market trade include mild temperatures to ease the crop stress in the Midwest and promising rain for the southwest plains. Monsoon flow-related showers will continue across the southern plains, the southwest, and Great Basin. Some mid to late week rain will affect the Midwest, especially the Great Lakes area. Heavy rain will persist at least through today across Florida's peninsula as Tropical Storm Emily continues to move ashore right near Tampa Bay. Hot and dry weather will persist in the Midwest. That more favorable pattern of rain and seasonal temperatures in the western Midwest comes at a key time for pollinating and filling corn and filling soybeans. The drier weather actually needed in Indiana and Ohio, and they will get that to benefit their corn and soybeans. Southern Plains crop areas in line for some rain and cooler than normal temperatures that will ease their crop stress and will also improve the pasture and hay conditions just ahead of winter wheat planting in September. Unfortunately, no little or little or no rain is forecast for the hard-hit drought areas of the western northern plains. That's where hot and dry conditions are causing notable stress to pollinating and filling corn and soybeans. It also remains hot and dry across the Canadian prairies where significant spring weight losses are expected. So 
overall favorable pattern ahead. Uh, yep. Some moisture starting to move back into the picture, as opposed to just a month ago when we were really hot and starting to worry yeah. dry about the dry conditions. Ag Weather with Paul brought to you by Coleman Repair. It looks like the better chances of some precipitation are probably right smack dab in central Nebraska tonight, huh? Yep, uh, uh, some fair decent chances, about 40%, but probably our better chances of rain going to come on Wednesday with that cold front moving through. All right, when you need weather anytime. KRBN.com. Taking a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. The 2017 Nebraska Cattlemen Road Trip made a stop to the Panhandle on Thursday to meet with area cattle producers. Chabella Guzman has more. Jesse Herman, Director of Legal and Regulatory Affairs with the Nebraska Cattlemen, tells us about an issue they are hoping to bring to the forefront in the upcoming Farm Bill. Um, so there's several things that we're watching. The most important one is we're advocating for full funding of the FMD vaccination bank, something that has not occurred in recent years and desperately needs to. If we were to have an FMD outbreak in the United States and we did not have enough vaccinations to prepare for it, we would be completely economically devastated. Right now, the experts say that we only have enough vaccinations for roughly two weeks. Um, yeah, and that's a very uh, high estimate. I actually think we'd run out a lot sooner. So we're asking for full funding for that. The Nebraska Cattlemen and other groups would like to see support in the upcoming Farm Bill for a five-year plan to get ready for a foot-and-mouth disease outbreak by vastly expanding USDA's vaccine stocks. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Last week, the Senate Agriculture Committee held testimony on the Farm Bill. Kansas farmer and current president of the National Association of Wheat Growers, David Shim, says that he discussed crop insurance and its importance, like for this year, since it has been so challenging. I have personally experienced a, you know, a, a late spring blizzard, freeze damage this year, and then as we did start to come up towards uh, a wheat harvest, we had several significant large uh, hailstorms or thunderstorms come through our area that did a lot of damage to my operation. And then even as we have started to close out and watch wheat harvest proceeded on north, I have looked on with dismay as we have a northern plains region that's in the, the middle of a very uh, devastating drought for their crops this year. And, you know, here in Kansas and even Nebraska, since uh, the Great Plains, we have experienced that drought here just the previous years here. So. When you realize those devastating things, and that's one of the things I did emphasize in my testimony in front of the Ag Committee, that this is the reason why we must have a viable crop insurance program. And, you know, it's just the, the one thing that I think is the greatest value that we as farmers can take back to D.C. is to bring truly that firsthand experience, that passion that we have, and that I really allowed, <laughs> unfortunately, my operation, but fortunately, I can bring that passion back there to D.C. and really let them know how important it is to keep an operation viable. Shim says these weather events do assist in bringing home the fact that producers need crop insurance and continued funding is a must in the next Farm Bill. Congressman Roger Marshall has announced that a 2017 Farm Bill listening tour across Kansas will take place with 10 stops. He says that, I quote, agriculture is the lifeblood of the big first congressional district. On the 2017 Farm Bill listening tour, I aim to discuss the concerns and most importantly, hear the ideas of those impacted by the bill. These ideas will be immeasurable value as my colleagues and I begin discussion and deliberation 
deliberation on the next farm bill. My job is to be a voice for Kansas, and I intend to begin the work with the ideas of the folks I represent, end of quote. These listening tours will be open to the public and focus on trade, nutrition, commodity programs, and other issues anticipated to be a part of the 2018 Farm Bill discussion. More information about those list of dates and locations can be found by visiting RollRadio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Here on the Roll Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. We're going to visit with Dan Atkinson. Dan's from Stockton, Kansas, National Sorghum Producers Vice Chair and Legislative Committee Chair for the National Sorghum Producers. So, Dan, you were in Washington testifying in front of the Senate Ag Committee, taking a look at risk management tools. Start you off with an open-ended question. Talk about your testimony and the things you discussed. Uh, yes, we had the opportunity to testify in front of the Senate Ag Committee yeah, by invitation of the Chairman Roberts. National sorghum producers right now are really focused on, on Title I and, and crop insurance. So we have got to share our views uh, on what we'd like to see in the next farm bill uh, regard, regarding the farm programs and, and our views on ARC and the PLC programs and, and also uh, reinforce uh, our need for crop insurance out here in farm country. Well, I like what you had to say. Uh, first of all, get into Title I. Talk about some of the, uh, the things you like and some changes you'd like to see. As, as sorghum producers, about two-thirds of us took, uh, made the choice to enter into the PLC program, the price loss uh, coverage program. It seemed to work better uh, in the sorghum-growing areas, and also due to a strong reference price of $3.95, we, we forewent the, the ARC payments that were going to be on the front end, and it really paid dividends here in the latter years, giving us pretty strong uh, safety net here when, when crops, when, when commodities have made a downturn. And crop insurance, too. That seems to be the major theme across farm country is a definite need for crop insurance. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when, when commodity prices fall as they have, they've not rebounded. There's a definite need for subsidized crop insurance uh, out here out here in, in, on the farm. Uh, we were very pleased to hear uh, Chairman Roberts make the statement during that testimony or during that hearing that uh, there would be no crop insurance cuts to crop insurance. Dan Atkinson is with us with the National Sorghum Producers. Uh, he testified earlier with the Senate Ag Committee looking at several issues, including uh, risk management. So, Dan, what was the feeling that you got from the senators as far as uh, crop insurance was concerned? It seemed very positive within the room. I know that uh, most, of our, most of the senators are, are from uh, states that have strong ag ties. Uh, most most seem in agreement that crop insurance is vital to our ag economy and is vital to keeping our producers uh, in business through these tough times. Uh, experience personally, as far as uh, how how crop insurance has maybe helped you in uh, in past years. Well, we have been very lucky the last few years to have some good crops and haven't uh, had the need to make any claims in crop insurance. But uh, during the drought years of 2011 and 2012. Uh, where, where crops were, were bad, uh, even though even though commodity prices were strong, they really helped keep us in business, and, and we've been very thankful to have a, a strong crop insurance title within within the last farm bill. And talk about uh, having the leadership of uh, Senator Roberts from your home state of Kansas uh, on the Ag Committee, uh, kind of leading the charge on this. Uh, absolutely, it's it's great to uh, be represented by someone like Chairman Roberts within this home state, and, and have that strong voice in our nation's capital. And, and we're always thankful that he's been our champion for agriculture for for many years. 
Well, Dan, while I've got you, how does the sorghum look uh, this season? How, how's the growing season been? You know, our sorghum's holding in there. We we got planted a little later than we'd like to due to some, some early moisture. Uh, it gave us some strong subsoil moisture, and, and the sorghum's still hanging in there, even though we've dried out uh, through much of the sorghum belt. Uh, if we can get catch some rain here in the month of August, I think we'll have a, a pretty good crop. That is Dan Atkinson from Stockton, Kansas, Vice Chair of the National Sorghum Producers, with us here on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the Husker football team kicked off fall camp yesterday. Now, due to injuries, Nebraska will be very young at the cornerback position this year. Head coach Mike Riley breaks down that position. They're all young, and their experience isn't big, but they are talented and they are smart. So what we'll just be looking for immediately is being sound. You know, just just, just being real smart. Uh, I think that uh, that's going to be the way that they they give everybody the trust that everybody needs for them to play. The Huskers worked out for a second time this fall camp earlier today. Another Husker news, former receiver Jordan Westerkamp signed a free agent deal with the Miami Dolphins. Home games against seven postseason qualifiers highlight the Nebraska men's basketball team's Big Ten schedule that was released by the conference today. Now that slate includes home tilts with NCAA qualifiers Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin Pinnacle Bank Arena, along with visits from NIT qualifiers Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa. Now as part of the Big Ten schedule rotation, five teams will serve as NU's double play opponents this season. The Huskers will face those five teams both in Lincoln and on the road. Well, yesterday, the Kansas City Royals made themselves better, acquiring outfielder Melky Cabrera from the White Sox for a couple of minor league pitchers. The 32-year-old Cabrera is hitting 288 this year with 13 homers and 56 RBIs. Manager Ned Yost likes this deal. But it's a quality bat. It's a switch-hitting bat. It's a bat we can put, you know, in the two-hole in our lineup. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great trade for us. It, you know, it just shows you how much, you know, Mr. Glass and Dayton are committed to giving us everything that that we can, to, you know, everything that we can, everything that we can use to try to try to win. The Royals have been on a roll of late. They've won ten out of their last eleven, but they still trail the Indians in the American League Central. Melky Cabrera is expected to join the team in Baltimore tonight and start in right field. Well, the Cubs have acquired reliever Justin Wilson and catcher Alex Avila in a trade with the Tigers, bolstering their chances for another long playoff run. Now, the addition of Wilson gives manager Joe Madden another late-inning option in front of all-star closer Wade Davis. And today is the last day for Major League Baseball teams to make trades without waivers. Star pitchers Justin Verlander, Yves Darvish, and Sonny Gray are among those who've been mentioned as possible targets. The trade deadline is set for 4 o'clock Eastern time. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. cloudy today with a chance of showers in central Nebraska. Highs today generally in the 80s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts and the heads of several state agencies held a news conference today to discuss preparations for the August 21st total solar eclipse. Ricketts says projections show that between 100,000 to 400,000 people will travel to Nebraska to view the eclipse. Uh, We're encouraging visitors to not only uh, come and view the eclipse, but spend the entire weekend, see the many great uh, 
attractions we have around the state, the beauty of our, the natural beauty of our state. And if you think about this, this really is probably the biggest event, or at least will draw the most amount of people to Nebraska in our history. The governor's office and multiple state agencies are working together to facilitate a safe and enjoyable viewing experience for Nebraskans and tourists before, during, and after the eclipse. A longtime federal judge in Nebraska, Warren Erbaum, has died at the age of 91 Friday in Lincoln. His obituary says Erbaum was born in Atlanta, Nebraska, and grew up in Arapaho. After military service during World War II, Erbaum attended Nebraska Wesleyan University and received his law degree from the University of Michigan Law School. Erbaum was appointed to the federal bench in 1970. The recent revival of a soul food restaurant that closed in 2003 is bringing life back to its Omaha neighborhood. The Omaha World Herald reports that the Fair Deal Cafe has reopened in its original location through the efforts of the Omaha Economic Development Corporation. Fair Deal owner John Neal Allen says she's excited to share the restaurant as former Omaha residents return to the neighborhood for the 21st biennial Native Omaha Days. A spokesman for the Kansas Department of Corrections says it has found no evidence of a significant episode of unrest at a state prison reported earlier by a union for state workers. Department spokesman Todd Fertig said it investigated whether a group of inmates refused to follow orders Friday evening and did not find that such an incident occurred. The report that such an incident occurred came from the Kansas Organization of State Employees in a tweet Friday evening. Executive Director Robert Kremenowski said the information came from an employee monitoring emergency communications. Kremenowski said that the incident appeared to be resolved within a half hour. Fertig did report that there were two separate inmate-on-inmate -inmate altercations Friday, each resulting in an inmate injury. As the severe storm season continues, remember, the Weather Watch never sleeps. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. with a counterpart in Mexico. It was important for Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue to discuss issues before the negotiations of NAFTA. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue speaking to reporters on Friday to talk about a variety of issues between the U.S. and Mexico. On the top of the list, talking about migrant workers. We've been warmly greeted by Secretary Calzada, who has uh, invited me here based on our return visit uh, when he and Minister McCauley visited us in Savannah. We had the opportunity to lay the groundwork on a personal basis regarding agricultural issues of NAFTA, and uh, we've developed a good basis of trust and respect and uh, mutual candor with one another. Well, I think that our presidents are, are working uh, with uh, their counterparts in Department of Homeland Security and State and others, our Department of Labor, that's really outside the purview of our Secretary of Agriculture, although it did come up among personally among uh, Secretary Calzada as well as the press conference we just concluded here. And uh, what I told them, that we were working on a program that could provide a legal guest worker program in the U.S. that would provide their citizens the opportunity to flow freely, uh, seasonally, temporarily uh, into the U.S. for uh, for work and then come back and to visit their families and their homelands here. So while we don't have any details of that, we're uh, passing around some uh, 
conversation among ourselves and hoping I have people assigned in USDA to provide some guidelines because I think most of the farmers look to us to uh, help them uh, translate their needs uh, to labor, uh, DHS, and uh, only, and uh, Secretary, uh, Secretary of State for the visas. So we're hoping to do that, but uh, that was not an area I think that would be involved in NAFTA and renegotiations. Another issue that was brought up was dumping of Mexican fruits and vegetables. Well, certainly we understand that not all sectors in U.S. agriculture have benefited equally from uh, from NAFTA. Some have feel disadvantaged, and we understand that. Most of that arises from the complementary aspect of our growing seasons, and we have to uh, also recognize that. Uh, certainly there is some overlap of those seasons in uh, our areas of uh, Florida, South Florida, maybe our southern latitudes there that uh, conflict with the uh, growing season in Mexico, and uh, we'll have to address those individually. One of the questions from down here was uh, their objection and uh, from grain growers and the corn and soybean growers here. And our statement was that when you have a NAFTA negotiations, uh, you can't uh, arbitrarily select one sector or the other. We can, uh, uh, once we have the phytosanitary, sanitary provisions, the equivalency of safety, then we have to uh, recognize and respect the agreement. So while we we understand that not all sectors will benefit uh, uniformly, uh, that's un- unfortunately the, the problem we have with a comprehensive agreement. And it has been reported for a while Mexico is looking at South America to purchase some corn and soybeans, but in part it's the need to feed their people. I did not get any indication that they are seriously considering that. Uh, Obviously, when the threat of, uh, uh, of a lack of supply for your nation, we would do the same thing if someone were considering maybe uh, uh, withdrawing or cutting off the negotiations of a product we depended on for our economy and our industry uh, of further value-added processing and uh, pork or whatever, then we would look for alternative supplies. That's just what we have to do to protect our own people. But I think, again, we have such productive and logistical advantages to, from the U.S. to Mexico, I think while they may talk about that, they may act as if they're having conversations. We have a, uh, a corner store location for their supply, and uh, frankly, we will continue to take advantage of that, not only in the competitiveness and the productive capacity of our grain and bean growers, but the logistics of rail and, uh, and water. I'll be leaving here shortly and going to their port here in the Peninsula, uh, looking at a U.S. ship coming directly from New Orleans, directly south of the Yucatan Peninsula that uh, is utilized in their pork production down here. And uh, it's a great example of the integration of our uh, our agricultural sectors. So while they may uh, feel they need to uh, uh, say they're looking otherwise, uh, I think we've got great uh, history and relationships and supply chains that uh, they hope uh, does not get disrupted. August 16th will be the first round of renegotiations on NAFTA with Canada, Mexico, and the United States. As you heard me state down here, then uh, uh, not all sectors have benefited uh, uniformly. We understand that the ag sectors, both in the U.S. and uh, Mexico, have benefited tremendously under the rules of NAFTA. We know, frankly, that uh, U.S. manufacturing has not. And I think the president is, is very rightly concerned about that. 
how we uh, reconcile those two will remain to be seen. I know that Ambassador Lighthizer is concerned about that as well. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that in many trade renegotiations or trade negotiations, the anxiety of our producers is that uh, agriculture is always used as a retaliatory measure. That's Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Get our closing livestock futures report here for a Monday afternoon. Joe Teal is with us from Great Plains Commodities. Joe, we tried to rally uh, these feeders twice. Just couldn't hold up towards the close, could we? No, sure couldn't. Uh, the, the August did manage to close higher, but the rest all lower. And, uh, you know, we were getting a little bit oversold, and uh, and I think we just ran out of uh, sellers near the bottom and, and uh uh, got some short covering to take it up the first time, and then I think there was a bit more of a concerted effort to try and uh, uh, get a rally underway, but uh, it met some pretty good uh, selling, uh, which kind of stopped everything up, and we did finish lower, so not a real positive start to the week. Um, you know, heading in, uh, uh, you know, considering last week uh, we finished about 2 to $3 lower, and uh, it uh, we're starting out the week uh, kind of on pins and needles to see what happens. Uh, a lot of people be uh, uh, hoping for a little bit better week, but uh, uh, I think we'll have to see some things change. Cutouts were uh, up just slightly, but uh, there just wasn't a whole lot of volume in the boxes today, so it didn't give a very good reading. Uh, now, over in the hogs, uh, we, we were lower virtually all day long. Uh, as cash continues to uh, kind of slide now, cutouts were higher at noon, but uh, uh, we did try to uh, a small rally, but never got uh, positive uh, back positive on the days. Uh, it, but it kept the pressure on. So we start out the week uh, with a down uh, both in cattle and hogs. Joe Teal from Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. As we're getting closer to State Fair, going to get an update on some of the things that are going on. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jossie Harding. With me is Bill Angel. He's the Livestock Superintendent here at the Nebraska State Fair. Bill, we have the stock dog trials. Why don't you tell us a little about it? We've been doing it about five years. They are Monday and Tuesday, the 28th and 29th this year. And uh, they've become one of the top trials in the country. We'll get about 70 dogs from all across the country and uh, some of the top trainers uh, in, the, in the country. And uh, so it's one of the two very best trials that we have uh, in the country for cattle dogs. What does that mean to the state fair and to the state of Nebraska in general to have such a high caliber event taking place here? Well, it just adds to the credibility of our state fair and and what we bring to the to the fairgoers. And you'd be amazed at the amount of people that are sitting in the stands watching these dogs work. Uh, they're amazing uh, how they work their cattle. They have uh, different ways that they have to drive cattle through different uh, pens and and things around the arena. So it's it's really become a great uh, uh, attraction for people to come and watch. And then also we have the Thompson Food Open Air Arena. That's a little bit of a newer arena for Nebraska State Fairgoers. Why don't you tell us about things that will be taking place this year? 
Last year was the first year uh, uh, we redid that arena, and the 1868 Foundation uh, did a lot of help to, to get that financed. But uh, we built a new arena out there, and Thompson Foods uh, stepped up as a sponsor. It is uh, now set to where we can do rodeos, horse shows, and we have a lot going on during the fair down there. There will be something in that arena every day and uh, a lot of evenings. So uh, we start out with our quarter horse shows Friday and Saturday. Uh, we have team pennings, uh, ranch sortings, and then as we get uh, farther into the week, uh, we'll have the Morgan horse shows, the Appaloosa horse shows, the Pinto uh, horse shows. Uh, we, have a we have miniature horse shows that will be there. Uh, then we do carriage driving, and uh, we end up with our high school rodeo uh, on Labor Day itself. It's a little bit off the beaten path. What's the best way for those who want to go watch the shows or participate to get down there? Well, there's two ways to get down there. You either uh, can park on Stir Road uh, in the Libby lot uh, and then walk across, and and uh, you'd be in the East Entertainment area. Uh, it's right there by the Big Red Barn and, and where uh, a lot of other activities take place uh, uh, during the week. But uh, Or you can you know park on the West End and then walk down there and, and uh, walk through a lot of exhibits and everything to get there. So uh, it's... it's it's pretty easily accessible. There are a lot of other livestock events taking place. If someone wanted to take a look at the full list, kind of plan out their schedule, what's the best avenue for them to do that? Well, uh, you can go on our website at statefair.org, and uh, we post the schedules in there of all the livestock activities, uh, any of the activities. Uh, of course, we, uh, the Independent puts out the gate book, which uh, has all the schedules in it, too. So uh, we've got a lot, of, a lot of things going on this year uh, with our draft horse shows, our open class cattle shows, uh, swine shows, and then, of course, the last weekend, our 4-H and FFA uh, exhibitors come in and, and so we've got lots of activity going on in our barns this year. We've been talking with Bill Angel. He's the Livestock Superintendent at the Nebraska State Fair for the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Let's get our closing market analysis today with John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. He's also the publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So I was reading that newsletter this morning. Uh, John, taking a look at the forecast weren't real favorable over the weekend as far as what we'd want to see in the grains to move us higher. Just kind of stayed lower, although we did mount a comeback, didn't we? Yeah, it did. Uh, you know, for the I think third straight week here, you would have been in trouble trading that Sunday night market. And if there's a lesson of all of this stuff, especially at this time of the year, trading on Sunday nights can be, I think, detrimental to your health. Uh, never tends to want to hold the trend and uh, it feels like a lot of the news that gets you know priced in really early Sunday night tends to get absorbed really quickly and we kind of make our way back to unchanged and that's what we saw today um, you know I had a lot of debates over the weekend with producers on whether or not this you know good bad crop or whatever it is is priced in or not it feels like a lot of the bad news or i guess the bad yield news still has to be priced in given the spread action and we're very wide the cash markets aren't signaling any problems at this point i think that could be almost a bullish factor here as we get into the kind of the yield exposure uh, that these next few wazi reports will provide do we move lower then if we uh, get uh, more uh, or i should say the uh, conditions uh, this afternoon in the uh, crop progress uh, continue on or even improve a little bit I think if they improve, we'll open lower, especially on the bean side. You know, the forecasts right now are, are not threatening. 
but it just depends on where we're going to start. And if we see another percentage drop like we saw last week in soybeans, especially out east, I think you could see this thing start to run. And a lot of guys out uh, in the fields this weekend, you know, walking beans, walking cornfields, and I think the, the main theme that I took from everybody was that how late beans are. Not just from a, not just from a, you know, a yield size. I think it's still a little too early to be, you know, pricing in one yield or the other, just how small everything is and how exposed to frost we might be come October. Uh, you know, the short-term outlook is for cool temps, and if that would, would hold into September, uh, you know, you might get some of these northern beans uh, uh, freezing up a little early. And that, that could be bullish. Anything at this point, um, you know, for beans, I think uh, it, it will get some bullish kick to it. did talk to one trader last week that uh, almost felt like, uh, you know, we had a three consecutive days of higher moves last week and we we felt bullish going into friday do, do things still feel bullish even though we ended lower today no i wouldn't say feel bullish here especially given the, the overnight price action but it feels like the market is is pricing in this kind of i think good yield news but the the current conditions and, and i just look at the spreads the spreads are are where the bearish news is, is priced in right now you have major differences between september corn december corn and march corn those three months are very widely spread out and that can change really quickly i think for a bullish side john payne with daniel zag marketing in chicago go to danielzagmarketing.com this is the rural radio network